Imagine your business is a machine that can make any impact that you set out to make in the world. How much time would you spend building the machine? I don't think you're ever ready. <laughs> and I think people need to be okay with that. Let go of one responsibility to learn a new one. I really believe that scaling a business is more about managing people than it is about managing projects. Well, hey there, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Many of y'all probably know that the mission of Path for Growth, why we exist, is to help impact-driven leaders step into who they're created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life for impact-driven leaders. And we're so excited because today we've got a Path for Growth conversation for you. And you know our objectives within these long-form Path for Growth conversations is to learn from someone that is absolutely world-class at what they do and to really get to know their story, to learn from their perspective. And then our third objective is to get past surface level as fast as possible. And y'all, oh gosh, we have such a practical but also really impactful conversation to share with you today. But before we do that, I want to let you know we're doing our first ever Path for Growth giveaway. That's right. We're going to be giving y'all some books. And specifically, many of y'all know my litmus test for a great book is it has to impact the way that you live, impacts the way that you behave, the way you act, the way you think, your mindset, your beliefs. If it impacts the way you live, then I think it qualifies as a great book. So we're going to be giving away three of the books that I absolutely say it impacted the way that I live. And here's how you enter to win these books. You need to take a takeaway either from this podcast or maybe one of the previous podcasts. And I want you to post that takeaway either in your story on Instagram, your feed on Instagram, or on LinkedIn. And make sure you tag myself, Alex Judd, and at Path for Growth. If you tag us in those, you'll be entered to win those books. Y'all, we're so excited to see what you've been taking away from this podcast. Again, one takeaway from this conversation or a previous episode, make sure you tag at Judd on the Run and at Path for Growth. I can't wait to see your takeaways. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into today's conversation. Y'all, we've got a good one today because today we get to talk with Chris Ronzio. Chris is the founder of a world-class organization called Trainual. And I actually coincided with Chris a couple years ago. I was hearing so often people come onto the coaching calls that I was doing within Ramsey. People were showing up and saying, I just need more system. I need more process in our organization. Our business is scaling. We're hiring people. We're focused on onboarding. And we just have no sense of system. So often visionary leaders, that's the biggest thing their business lacks, is a sense of continuity, structure, rhythm, and system in their organization. And this was a common theme on calls where people would show up and that would be their number one pain point. And then all of a sudden, one month, I had multiple people show up and say, oh my gosh, I found the solution. And I got so excited because I was like, well, what's the solution? This is awesome. And so many of them said it's this program called Trainual. What Chris and his team are building is basically a digital handbook for your team that enables you to document and edit and iterate on processes as your business is growing. And what's so cool about this business is it is directly aligned with Chris's passion, but also his story. Just absolutely unbelievable what they're building. And it's so cool how the organization literally, as they are teaching people how to train their teams, 
This organization is having to train and develop its team. They're growing really, really fast. I think two years ago, 500% year over year. Now they're up another 100%. They're growing so fast because the demand for their product is so high. But for me, one of the things that's most cool about Trainual and everything that they're building is it really all ties back into Chris's story as an entrepreneur. So it's really baked into my DNA. It's like when I started my first business, I was 14, I was in high school. And very quickly, I found myself just operating the camera all the time. It was a video production company. And so to get myself away from the camera, I had to start focusing on the business part of the business. Like, how do we get customers? How do I find other people to operate the camera? How do I answer customer support tickets? And so I started to spider out into every department and had to find help to do it. So then when I went to college, I had to be in class. And so I had to hire people to do all these functions while I'm sitting there <laughs> in class. And so training and systems has been important from the get-go for me. And, and then it just deepened as the business grew. So as my production company grew, we were doing events in all 50 states. We had you know hundreds of camera operators. And it was really important to make every event feel just like an event that was across the country. You know, that franchise kind of mindset where it looked and feel feels like like our brand. So I remember early on reading that book, The E-Myth, and mm -hmm. just it spoke to me like, how do you have this like prototype of a franchise when you're growing a small business? So I was obsessed with that. So it was checklists and it was SOPs and training. And I was fortunate to kind of grow up around that. And it led to obviously this business. I love that. When you say early on, you read E-Myth, how old were you when you, you came across that book? Do you think, Chris? S 16. <laughs> what kind of 16-year-old reads E-Myth Revisited? That's outrageous. So was it, were you reading out of necessity at that point? Or where, like, where did that, like, why that book? I think one of my guidance counselors at school knew I had this little business and they were like, oh, this is, you know, the entrepreneurship book. You should read this. And so as I was going through it, I loved it because it's like a story. You know, it's about yeah, a, yeah. a bakery and someone cooking cupcakes. And so it resonated with me because I was the technician in the business. And so I really quickly saw like, well, I can only do so many events if I'm the camera person, but if I can figure out how to hire and train camera crews, then I could book multiple events on the same day. And so, you know, as the business grew, we had five, six, seven, eight events all on the same day in different states. And that's what really got me excited. It's like, you know, this is now a business before it was just me kind of as a, a solopreneur. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask. It seems like sometimes people struggle with making that transition from tactician to, okay, now I need to bring in other people to do the thing. Yeah. And one of the reasons why people struggle is it's kind of like an emotional struggle because it's like, I love doing the thing, right? I don't want to give up doing the thing. Why would I ever give up doing the thing? And, yeah. and at the same time, there's kind of this recognition that like, okay, five years from now, do I really want to be doing this every single day? Was that, did you experience that struggle? Like, did you want to be the guy behind the camera, but realized you needed other, other guys behind the camera or were you ready to scale? Yeah. Sometimes you want to be the person doing the thing because it's almost like you're the master artist. You know, like I used to consult yeah. for hair salons and there would be someone that is just like, they started it because they're so good at what they do and they charge the highest rate and everybody wants to go to them and they are like the master stylist. And I feel like anyone that starts a business that's good at the thing wants to do the thing a little bit because it's their craft. You know, they're like paving this, they're figuring out how to do the thing. But I started thinking about it more as R&D 
and less as a job. You know, like my job was to be in the lab doing the prototype of how do we do this and then show it to other people. My job is not to do it every day. And so I still did camera work. I would fly into an event. I would test new cameras. I would, you know, I'd be on the camera for a day at a six day event because the experience would give me so many good ideas on how we could do it better. But I wasn't the the one that the company was relying on to get the job done every day. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So at, at what point do you like, do you get to the place where you can actually bring someone on board? Because I would say that the other thing is sometimes people are too entrepreneurial and it's like they they haven't established a way of doing things. And so they're not really creating a business. They're just hiring mercenaries to hold a camera and there's not yeah. any standards or things like that. Uh, like what is the line at which you're ready to bring people on board? I don't think you're ever ready. <laughs> and I think people need to be okay with that. You know, the first couple camera operators I hired were terrible. And mm. I had this super high standard because I was so good at it and I loved it. And I had this way of doing it. And the first people I brought in did it totally different. And so it was only by seeing how they did it that I realized what my process was. And so I think sometimes you bring other people in before you're totally ready, but it's kind of a, a stress test for the mm -hmm. business to say like, what would be the gap between someone else doing it and me doing it? And so for camera operators, we would bring in new crews for events that had like multiple cameras and we'd start someone on the less important camera that wasn't going to be on all the time so that there was like not as much risk of failure. And I think that's something people can do. Like when I've worked with, you know, photographers, similar business, they would bring in a second camera operator that shoots the like extra stuff, you know, not the one shooting the wedding, like the, the front camera, but the person that's off to the side. And then you kind of graduate that person to the primary role. What about businesses that are hyper relational in nature? So I, I, one of our coaches, actually, she owns a business and they do flowers for weddings and they help with wedding coordinating and wedding planning. And that's obviously just such a hyper relational thing. And, and right, like the people that are planning their wedding, she, one of the struggles she has is she's like, they want it to be us. Like they don't want to initially contact us and then we work, we hand them to someone that's going to design their wedding for them. They want to work with us and they're really drawn to that. And then I, I see real estate agents all the time struggle with the same thing. They're like, I want to grow a team, but it's like, they want to buy their house from me. They can't buy it from someone on my team. It, mm -hmm. How do you bridge that gap of getting people? Because we can all think of companies where it's like, yeah, I see the figurehead. I see the person on top, but at the same time, I never talked to that person. I talked to the other people. What, yeah. Like, what is the balance there or how do you bridge that gap, Chris? So that comes down to specialization. Like when you're a small team or a, a team of one and you're doing everything, people want to work with you start to finish because that's the experience you've been selling. And so if they got referred to you, they're like, oh, you want to work with Karen. Like she does everything start to finish. She's amazing. And so the way that you slowly introduce other people is you start to spider out your role where it's not just one person start to finish. It's like one person helping with the intake and the consultation and then one person really doing the, the work of picking the flowers and making the arrangements. And so you can start to peel back. Like, what's the thing that you're amazing at? You don't have to do the whole process. You can maybe just do the arrangements and you have somebody else that helps with the answering the phones and booking the appointments and getting them set up in the meetings and scheduling the delivery. And, you know, and if you can start to break out the responsibility, then people are still happy that they got the gold, you know, the nugget in the middle 
that they were paying for. And then it's about training that hardest thing. And that was what I was doing, you know, in my consulting firm. It was the same way. Started off with just me. People hired Chris. They didn't hire my company. They hired Chris. Mm. And I had to then go say, all right, well, now there's someone else that's our administrator that that does all the billing and all the emails and all the coordination, and all the forms and all the intake. And now there's someone else that's the user experience person. And they're going to interview all your employees to help us put together this report. And now there's somebody else that's implementing the project. And the part that I do is just like presenting the recommendations and sharing the context and experience that I have. And that's what they really valued. I didn't have to do the whole thing. So I think you can start to break apart the whole process into just the specialized role and it frees up a ton of time for you as the solo person. And what was that consulting whenever you first started doing that consulting? What was that company called, Chris? Organized Chaos. Organized Chaos. Yeah, I love that. So, But even in that, though, I would assume it was a calculated decision that you are not going to call it Chris Ronzio Consulting LLC. Explain that decision. Yeah, the first year it was Ronzio Consulting because I didn't know Uh. what else to call it. And so (laughs) I had a website. It was just chrisronzio.com. It's still there, personal website. And when people started hiring me, that's what I was selling. I was just selling my time. But then I remembered thinking like, I can't scale this. Do I just want to be a solo person forever? No. And so I had to think about like of the 30 or so customers I had worked with, what was I delivering for them? What were they, what was the the core thing that they were buying? So I came up with this package and I called it the Organized Chaos Project. It was this flagship thing that I'd come in for three days. I'd interview all their people. I'd do some research. I put together this report and everyone was loving that. So that's what I named the company. Oh, brilliant. And how old are you at that time? Gosh, that was like 28. Gosh, that's crazy, Chris. That's insane. Okay, so so you alluded to this a little bit earlier as well, where it's you're never ready to hire that next person necessarily. And that's a question that we get a lot with Empath for Growth is like, when do I know to hire and do I hire betting that we're going to grow or do I hire because we've grown so much that I just can't freaking handle it anymore and my head's on fire and, and there's that tension because it doesn't seem like either one is perfect, but you never have that exact day where it's like, okay, now we hire. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Well, it's usually not a binary kind of decision of zero to one, like nobody. And then all of a sudden you've got a full-time person. So for most people, they would start by having a freelancer, a contractor, someone that's taking something off their plate. And you'd scale that person up where maybe it's just a project initially for a customer of yours. And then maybe it's like you've got enough regular work that you want them for five or 10 hours a week. And so in my experience, that's been the way to do it. And it could just be that you find an online virtual freelancer. It could be that you find someone local that's committing to work 10 or 15 or 20 hours a week. And maybe you scale that person up or maybe that's all the capacity they have. And once you outgrow that person, now you're ready to hire the first full-time person. But it's usually not zero to one. So for me, I usually think about like, when could I afford uh, one or two months of that person's salary? Like Mm -hmm. to me, that's enough lead time. So when I was running my consulting business, I hired the first person when I had an overage. You know, I knew I was killing myself and, and working so hard, but I was making at least enough to cover that person's salary for two months. And then I was comfortable pulling the trigger on bringing them on because it gave me that eight week buffer of focusing on my sales cycle. And I knew I could shed some responsibilities to free up time to do that. 
And at that stage, were you following the E-Myth model of you had drafted this dream org chart where Chris was the CMO, the CFO, right? And you were filling all the roles and then you started gradually parsing off roles. Is that how you structured it? Yeah, I probably did that a, a year later or so. So that idea of a future org chart is something I keep coming back to. And it's a, a really powerful exercise where you put yourself, like you said, in a bunch of different seats and you say, what's the organization look like in 12 months or in 36 months? And I, I even do that now. And it's funny how things, you know, some things come to fruition and some things change entirely. Like in Organized Chaos, I thought that we were going to have you know, dozens of consultants in all different markets. And then this administrative support team that would do the intake and the research and the project management. And we ended up with two consultants in two different markets. And to train them, we were using the software Trainual, our in-house training system. And I realized, yeah, I realized that's how I'm training people to, to grow my consulting business. Like maybe that's the product. And so it was around the same time we pivoted to, uh, to, to the SaaS business. Wow. So that was your adaptive strategy. That's remarkable. So you literally built it just for yourself originally. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that tool in late 2014. We didn't launch it publicly until January 2018. So for a little over three years, it was this internal product that I would use. I, I thought it was great intellectual property for the consulting business. And as a consultant, as a service provider, you're always trying to, you know, come up with something that people can't copy. And so for us, it was the brand, it was the trademark, it was the package that with this productized service, and then it was this software. And I was putting together these pieces to make the consulting business worth something. And then just Trainual kind of, you know, uncovered itself as a real opportunity and, and totally pivoted. Uh, did you ever envision prior to that time, did you ever envision yourself getting into software? No. Not at all. I mean, well, I guess I should say for two months when we first launched Trainual, I was like, I'm going to be rich. This is amazing. <laughs> and like, I, I, I'm going to be a software mogul. And, you know, so I had a newsletter that I was putting out. I say newsletter, but it was really like three sentences that I would send once a week. And it was like, you probably have this problem. Here's a cool software you've never heard of. Here's a, a you know, where to check it out. And so it was this crazy focused useful tip every week and i was putting this out for almost two years and so it developed a pretty big list and uh i actually turned that into a book so my hundred hacks to improve your business was like the first two years of that newsletter wow. and and so i had a, a a decent following and so when i came up with trainual i was like oh i've got thousands of people on my list i'm gonna launch this tool and overnight probably have like you know an amazing passive income. And so, you know, the big fanfare of the launch, I put out this blog post and I got four people to sign up. And so oh, it was gosh. like, okay, all right, back to the drawing board, back to consulting. So, <laughs> so other than that fleeting moment, I never expected to be a software CEO. And you know, funny story, the third year I had Trainual, I actually tried to sell it, sell the whole business to a friend of mine for uh, $40,000. Oh I was, my gosh, Chris. I know. And fortunately, he said no. And so I sat yeah. on it for another six months and then we eventually launched it. But it's crazy to think back on. Golly, thank God he said no. My goodness. Yeah. It yeah. would be tough to He's still be friends. Yeah, it would be yeah. tough to still be friends with that guy <laughs> if he had bought your business for $40,000. My goodness. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so 
it's interesting that you clearly had your thumb on the pulse of what was going on in the business and you started to see, okay, there's something to this software. We've got something here and maybe that's the entire business. Again, very similar to the question before about when you shift away from the art, it can be a hard shift for people. Sometimes people see that something is working and they say like, okay, well, we should probably do that thing. And logically, it makes sense. Logically, it makes sense to become a software company. But it's almost like you've given yourself this persona of, no, I'm a consultant, right? Like, I I can't step in to be a software CEO. Did you struggle with that? Or was that a challenge for you? Big time. It was, yeah, it was something that was part of my identity as I was this like efficiency consultant expert. I don't know if you've ever seen the the show, The Prophet with Marcus Limonis. Yeah. I'm sure people have seen that. And people around town in Phoenix, where I was, were calling me like the, the local prophet. <laughs> you know, and I, I would go into a business and that was kind of what I was doing. And, and so I really loved that brand and that idea, but, but. You know, it's funny. I had this BHAG, you know, the Jim Collins book. I, I had this hair, big, hairy, audacious goal that I wanted to serve 25,000 small businesses. And I drew, I put that line in the sand like seven years ago at this point. And I thought I would do it through consulting and by building a network of consultants. And and that vision was always there. And so when Trainual started to pick up some momentum and get some referrals and, and people wanted the, the software but didn't need the consulting, I saw, wow, this is something that so many more businesses could afford. And so if instead of charging for our services, what if we just gave away the expertise and the tips and turn that all into marketing content? And then we monetized it with this business. And instead of people paying us, you know, tens of thousand dollars for, for consulting, they could pay $100 for, for a software. And, and it, it felt like it was a pivot in pursuit of the bigger vision. So that gave me more confidence to go for it. And it's kind of one of those moments where it feels like you kind of have to, I always think of it as an Allen wrench. One of my friends t- told me this analogy and it's always struck, it stuck with me. It's like, you have to pull back the Allen wrench and the more you pull it back, the more you're going to be able to pull it forward. But it feels mm. like at that moment, I mean, did it feel a little bit like, okay, we're going to slow this thing down a little bit. We may even take a revenue hit for a little bit, but it's all for the purpose of being able to pull forward eventually. Huge. Yeah. I, I love that analogy. And I, in my mind, it was kind of like when you wind up to throw a baseball, I was like, you've got to wind up if you really want to throw it far. So v- very mm-hmm. similar. And so the, you know, just for some context, I guess the month before we launched Trainual, the consulting business did over 200,000 a month in revenue. And then we launched Trainual and cold turkey, we said no to all the consulting clients. We just put it on pause and so the first month of Trainual, we did $4,000. And so it was like, you know, a night and day. So it was scary, but it was, you know, we always knew we could fall back on consulting. Like yeah. I had the team at that time. And I said, if this doesn't work, if we run out of money, if six or 12 months from now, we're not seeing any traction, we'll go back to consulting. We'll climb out of this hole. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, intense meeting to use the phrase, if we run out of money. (laughs) (laughs) But I gave everyone uh, branded sweatshirts at the same meeting. So it was like, uh, it was like, here's, you know, look, here's exciting. Here's the sweatshirts. We might run out of money, but. (laughs) That's right. Anyway, there, there was a line in the documentary that we, that you just released, which y'all need to go watch this. It was so cool. I saw that it came out literally two days ago. I was like, oh, this is great. This is perfect. And I watched it on the plane and there was this line. It was almost said in passing. I don't know if it was you or your brother that said it, 
but it was said almost in passing. I literally almost just put my hands up. I was watching an airplane and I was just put my hands up. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so good. But it was, you said it in passing. You said you can't grow if you don't let go. And yeah. I feel like that describes the gap that you're talking about of going from consulting to training. But then it's so often just in scaling a business, even if you're sticking with the same product, I think it's a truth that really resonates as well. Dive into that phrase a little bit, Chris. Yeah, I love this idea. And, and it's not just for the entrepreneur. I know that's who we're mainly talking to, but really it's for everyone in a business. So when I was consulting, there was this company I worked with that was a daycare and I would part of what I do is interview every person in the company just to get like confidentially what's going on here. And so this teacher at the daycare told me she confided in me that she had gotten several offers that paid more, that would be better hours, that would be better for her career. And she was declining them all because she felt like she owed it to the owners of her current job to not let them down. You know, she felt like she she was so loyal to them that she couldn't take a step in her own career that was better for her because no one could replace her. She had too much of the institutional knowledge in her head. And so, you know, the idea of you've got to let go to grow is you can't do everything forever. If you want to grow in your job, if you want to grow in your career, if you want to grow in your business, you've got to be able to move ahead but to take on the next challenge. And you've got to have someone behind you that can keep the balls spinning, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so the idea is like you let go of one responsibility to learn a new one. And by letting go of it, it's not that it's not going to get done anymore. It's that somebody else has to take that over. And so delegating and training and communicating, that is all the way that you do that. Are you more wired as kind of that visionary, like look ahead, dream big ideas for the future or the integrator role, Chris? Man, I think as a consultant, I was more the integrator because I was hired as that for the businesses I worked with. You know, it was mm -hmm. like, come in, figure it out operationally, logistically, how do we get this done? But since growing Trainual, the more people we've added, you know, we've got a chief of staff now, she's kind of you know, picked up a lot of that role. And we've got a director of operations that has taken on a lot of that integration role. And so now I've been more the visionary. Well, that I mean, that's another good example of if you don't let go, you can't grow too, because it's like you've had to let go of the thing that was your expertise. Like it was the thing that you did 99% of your time. But related to that, I figured that was the role that you were playing now. That's what I figured. And I was talking to a guy yesterday that is like, in terms of vision, man, this guy has big vision. Like, I mean, I like, unlike anyone I've ever talked to, his dreams for 20 years in the future, he sees them like crystal clear. And he's so ex like, can literally experience them on the call when you're talking to them. He gets so excited. He gets so into it. His challenge is not that it's so hard to let go. His challenge is that he has a new idea, chases after it passionately, but then before it's operationalized, he just lets it go, right? And then his team's sitting there with mm -hmm. it, and then he goes to another idea and then just lets it go and then goes to another idea. How do you moderate that person or what is your advice to that person that lacks no energy or excitement for the future? What should they start doing in the present to make sure that they can actually build infrastructure for that future? Yeah, so great question. And I have similarly way too many ideas. So I think the first thing is that you've got to have a way to capture all the ideas and realize that they're not all going to be acted on at once. So what I care more about is that I need kind of a big bag to collect all my ideas. 
And then the ones that I keep mentioning and keep bringing up, those sort of rise to the surface. And that way, when the team comes to grab something out of the bag to execute on, they can grab from the top. And so I am constantly coming up with new ideas. I go for jogs just like you do. And my mind is just firing all over the place. And the way that I manage that is, you know, I mentioned our chief of staff. We have a call 30 minutes every single morning to process new ideas, to log them in our project management system, to put them in the agendas for my other one-to-one meetings that I have, to put them on the big ideas list that we track quarterly. And so it at least gets captured. And it's not that everything's going to move forward, but it at least gets captured. And then over the course of the week, the month, the quarter, the more I mention those ideas, they get reprioritized and then they get operationalized. And so I think you've got to just have a structure for capturing and collecting those ideas. And not everything's going to happen, but the good ones will happen. And I feel like just the process of verbalizing too, because a lot of my ideas on a run are killer until the minute I say them to someone. And then I'm like, oh, this really (laughs) sucks. Actually, this is horrible. Yeah. So just like verbally processing it. What in terms of scaling a business and in growing a business, what is the greatest limiting belief that you think leaders most often have that keep them from actually doing it right? I think it's micromanagement. It's that they've got to be involved in everything, you know, and there is a point in a business when you are hiring your department heads And then those department heads are hiring people beneath them. And you don't have the direct relationship with the people that are doing the work anymore. And if you want to just dive back in and have a tendency to be involved in everything, it's a limitation to how much you can grow because it's almost like having a, you know, when a hot air balloon has that string attached to it and it can't leave the ground. It's like you've got strings attached to the ground. everywhere, (laughs) And so You've got to you've got to realize that there's uh, you know, you can't do everything. So I really believe that scaling a business is more about managing people than it is about managing projects and getting work done. It's you've got to become an effective people manager and build a great organization. That's fascinating. I mean, y'all have been on the hot air balloon over the past two and a half years. I I mean, you were telling me earlier grew 500 percent last year. Is that correct? Holy cow. And then continue. I mean, over 100% growth this year as well. You're now at 43 people. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like if if you, I would assume if you micromanage at Trainual right now, as fast as y'all are growing and as large as demand is right now, this thing, I mean, this thing just collapses from the inside. And at the same time, if you don't train and and develop quality within your team, this thing also collapses from the inside. And I mean, y'all are kind of on a, it's a little bit of a tough, I mean, not tough place to be. I guess it's a good thing to be like, y'all y'all are the, the expert. Y'all wrote the book on training. So it's like, you better be pretty good on this. That's a pretty high standard to set. Yeah. So how do you make sure you train for quality whenever things are just moving at such a breakneck pace, Chris? Yeah. So we've invested a lot in training, like you mentioned. And, you know, I've always said that you don't just create training the first time you do something, you create something, you you document something once it's repeatable. So once it's consistent in the way that you're delivering it, then you document it. And so we go through our own account, our own trainual account, and we overhaul things constantly. But it, you know, it's not every day. It might be, you know, every couple months, every time we hire a new cohort of people, we review all our processes, make sure they're up to date, and then assign them to people. And so having training in a system like ours is not 100% replacement 
to in-person or one-to-one training. It's just that you want to give someone the foundation of knowledge so that they can do all the consistent things that they're being expected to do. And it's not that you're turning off the autonomy of them coming up with better ways to do things. We encourage that tremendously. And so everyone in the, the company can create a new process, can go in, edit something, create something, roll it out. And so it's kind of this balance of just maintaining the existing standard and striving for a better standard. And it's something that's, you know, it's a cultural thing. That's so good. How, how do y'all define who the next right hire is? Like over the course of the past two years, I mean, you know, you need more people to do what you need to do. How do you define who's next? We have monthly meetings between our operations team and every department lead. And so we talk about where they're at capacity, where they're struggling, where there's big opportunity. And then through those meetings, they kind of bubble up to me with all the recommendations for every department. And I think that there's some hires that are opportunistic hires where you've got to look at it more as an investment and not as an expense. You know, there's some people that you can hire to take advantage of some profitable opportunity in the business. And you want to hire that person tomorrow if you can, you know, and then there's other hires that they're part of your cost of goods sold of delivering something. And you want to make sure that department is as efficient as they can be before you're just adding another person to sift through the volume. And so we're constantly looking at those two things, like where are we at capacity that we need to add more help in a department or maybe split off a couple roles? And then where do we have opportunities in the business? And so it's a constant prioritization, but it's something that we formally look at once a month. Early on and within the first year of the business, did you lean more towards the profitable opportunity or the staffing side, or did you try to strike a 50-50 balance? How did you gauge it in the first year of the business? The first year or so, We'd, we had five people that came from my consulting business and we ended that year with the same five people. Okay. So the first, year was, the first year was not about adding people. It was about adding customers. Yeah. And, so, and so, you know, kind of a different split, the, the maintain versus grow thing. The product was stable. It was how do we just maintain this? But we're not evolving the product a lot. We can't afford to. We are mm-hmm. just, it's a product that clearly works for, a few dozen companies. How do we get it to work for a few hundred companies? Oh, we just need to find more companies and get it in front of them. And so the first year was all about sales and marketing. It was ads and content and demos and webinars. And just how do we get it out there? The second year was, wow, now we've got all these companies using it. This thing should be better. Like (laughs) we should invest in, in making it better. So then we started hiring designers and uh, product managers and more specialized marketing roles and and uh, doing integrations and that sort of thing. So it's evolved over time. Gotcha. Related to this topic of hiring and just on the back end of hiring, obviously y'all take onboarding very seriously. I read a blog post that I think it was by one of your team members that had just gotten hired and they kind of talked about their onboarding experience and I, I, my jaw dropped whenever they said our onboarding took two days and then we were up and running. And I was like, excuse me, like what? Yeah. But, but then they listed all the things that occurred over the course of two days. And I was like, oh, okay, they're doing a lot of the things and maybe even more things than a lot of companies are doing. They're just being hyper intentional about it. So can you dive into a little bit about how you handle onboarding at training? 
Yeah, like like you said, it's very intentional. It's very planned, and it's almost like going to a camp or something where you've got a pre-assigned agenda, you know? And so you're showing up, and you feel taken care of. Like, you feel you're getting a great experience. Where so many companies, I think, the person shows up, and it's like, oh, right, you're starting today. Like, why don't we just... <laughs> Go sit in the conference room and talk for four hours. And but they say you're starting today. I didn't realize that yeah. was happening. Yeah, that's this week. So, you know, so for us, onboarding begins long before they start. It's usually a couple weeks before whenever they've given notice. And we're sending out things to them in advance, care packages, laptops, equipment, you know, the software they need, instructions. A lot of people will actually do their training on their own time before they get in the first day because they're just excited to do it. And then wow. if that's the case, then when they get to the pre-assigned point in the schedule where they're going in, they've already completed it and they just fill that with with something else, you know, joining other meetings, shadowing people and and going above and beyond. So the the first day is is pretty rigid and it's it, they do a kickoff meeting with our people ops team. We try to hire in cohorts, which we didn't always do, but now that we're hiring more people, we try to have multiple people start on the first day so that they get a little bit of a uh, you know, rapport, they've got like a friend or a couple friends that, that they started with. They get to share that experience. So, so there's this like meet and greet. There's a little bit of a vision presentation that I do to just show them where we're going. And then they go through the trainual content, which introduces them to the company, the culture, the history, the background, the market, the customer, their job. And, you know, it's that foundation. It's like all the things that you might hope to absorb about a company by just being there through osmosis over your first few months, we pack into a very digestible, entertaining experience in their first couple of days. So that really they're, they're, you know, a few days in, they're productive. They're doing their first kind of test project in their role. And whether it's publishing a blog post or publishing lines of code, or they're doing something to feel like, wow, it's my first week and I've already achieved something. Man, that's pretty powerful. Is Trainual at 43 people right now, is it the largest business you've ever worked for? Pretty close. Yeah. So if, I, I guess the, with one exception or two exceptions, when I was 14, right before I started my video company, I worked at the supermarket. So that was a pretty yeah. big business. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was in college, my girlfriend worked at Hollister. So I got a job at Abercrombie so I could like go out to lunch with her. <laughs> so aside from that little retail experience. Little known amazing. fact about Chris Ronzio. He was an Abercrombie guy. Please don't tell me you were standing totally. outside the store with a shirt off. That would not vote. No, but I did have like, you know, triple popped collars or whatever was cool <laughs> back then. That's awesome. Okay. So I, I've got a really close friend and he's in his twenties and he's just serial entrepreneur and he's building a business right now that's just exploding. He's crushing it. And his experience right now is that He's now hiring people. I think he's got a team of like between 15 and 20 people already, and he's having a blast. But I think similar to you, he had some jobs where he worked with big companies, but he certainly wasn't talking to the CEOs of those companies, right? And he was just, you know, it was just, it was a minimum wage or close to minimum wage job. And so yeah. he was talking to me the other day and he said, Alex, I don't know how companies do. Like, I don't know what's right. I, I have never, I don't have any experience with this because I've always been an entrepreneur. And so I, to a degree, and I would imagine you experienced this too, that's part of his secret sauce, 
right? Like he, I mean, he doesn't know what's quote unquote right. So he just says, well, whatever we want to do, we'll just do that. Whatever seems right. But then at the same time, he's feeling this need to get some perspective and to have a little bit more of a guided path instead of just like throwing his hands up and be like, I hope this is what we're supposed to do. How do you go about getting that for yourself, Chris? Yeah, so there's a bit of an advantage to that naive sort of perspective where you might challenge the status quo and do things differently. But then there's also a a struggle that can come with it where you're just taking longer to figure things out and it shouldn't take you so long. So I had the advantage of doing my consulting business for five years and even though I wasn't running the companies, I was, you know, consulting with the CEO of the company, helping execute projects. And these companies were, you know, 20, 50, 100, 200 employees. And so I got to see a little bit more of that structure and run meetings and do company wide sessions where I was speaking and, and those sort of things. But since then, it's been a extreme focus on coaches, mentors and peers that are a few steps ahead of me. So I have always sought out having business coaches or other founders I really look up to. If I'm at 10K a month, I'm looking for someone that's got a million or $2 million business and trying to say, how do I model what I'm doing after them? It's not far enough down the road that you can't envision the gap between the two of you. You know, it's like it's close enough that you can see yourself in their shoes. And I think that accelerates your progress towards that milestone. And so then when we got to one, I'm looking for 5 million companies and I'm looking for $10 million companies and I'm looking for 25 million. And it's like, go six months, 12 months, 18 months out, because that is enough of a gap that you can see yourself getting there. And those are amazing people to have in your circles. And if you've got a meeting scheduled with that mentor that is 12 months ahead of you, I would assume you're pretty intentional with how you're going to use that time. How do you go about preparing for that time and making sure that you maximize it, Chris? So for me, I would create a list of all the issues I'm working on. So, you know, say I say we only had five people and I was struggling with, do I hire someone that's more senior than one of my five people? You know, like, how did you deal with it when you brought in your first director or your first whatever? So I'm posing those problems that I know that they just got through. And but usually it's more of an interview. If I'm meeting for someone the first time, it's more of an interview about their business, how they got there, what their last year was like, what they're excited about, where they spend their time. I'm just trying to get to know them and what they care about, what they're working on. And then the second half of the meeting or the next time I meet them, I've got some really intentional questions because I understand the gap. Yeah. Do you have a favorite question to ask people? One question. It's different for everyone, but there's one question I know I want to ask them if I've only got five minutes with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so like last week I connected cold with a, a CEO, a founder that sold his business for almost $200 million. Wow. And I admire this guy. I've been a customer of his brand. And so I got on the phone with him and the question I wanted to know was how early was he exit planning? You know, like how long did he start building those connections before that happened? And of course, we talked about a dozen other things, but that was the thing that I knew if there was one takeaway from this conversation, that's the really pointed question I want to ask. Mm. And so I think based on what you know externally, publicly about someone, have a very important question and then you can fill whatever time you have left. Gosh, that's really good. What about, I know you've spent time with Gary V. At least I've seen videos of you talking to Gary V, which that's pretty awesome. That guy seems like a firecracker. Yeah. What is the biggest lesson you've learned from him, Chris? 
Wow. Produce tons of content. <laughs> it would be yeah. the Which y'all are crushing that right now, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, we're doing our best. I mean, so much of what we've what we've created has come from his inspiration of just putting out so much per day. And so we try to repurpose so much of what we do. You know, like I'll do a podcast episode and we'll splice out you know, 10 different clips from it. And we'll be posting two on LinkedIn and one on Instagram and one one goes out on our daily podcast and one over here. And, and you know, we're, ta- we're tagging the other person. Then we take the podcast and we get it transcribed and it becomes a blog post and it becomes a, you know, then we made that the long form documentary. So we've really built a, a marketing agency in-house. And we have, you know, if you looked at our our organization, we've got video producers, we've got copywriters, we've got graphic designers, we've got um, PR, we've got all of these things in-house, social media. And that's something that I think a lot of companies don't do. You think of it as kind of an afterthought. You know, I'm doing this great thing. Let me hire some vendor to tell people about it. You know, part, so much of our business is getting business. And yeah. so we wanted to build that as a core functionality. And a big part of that was inspired by Gary. Man, I sometimes wonder, okay, is that strategy for every industry? But then I think to myself, like, okay, well, I mean, there's nothing that really says systems and processes and creating a digital playbook or a digital handbook says that, well, man, that's just ripe for digital content, right? There's nothing that necessarily says that. So what's your belief on that? Should every industry, should every business be focused? It depends on how big you want to grow. I think that any business that's trying to dominate a category and be a worldwide brand has that responsibility to be producing content. If you want to be an authority and be a leader, if your your aspirations are to produce a phenomenal lifestyle income, to have a small manageable team, you know, five, 10 people, you don't need to be a, you know, a, a content machine. You know, you can be a, you can consistently blog, you can dedicate some time to interviews and you can use that content, maybe you write a book and then you use that content more proactively to connect with your prospects and to show them some value. But you might not need our size team that's amplifying your message to millions of people in the way we do. It really depends on how many customers you're after. Well, I love the phrase you used earlier, you're reusing and you're documenting. Like y'all are just, it's not like you're spending a ton of time saying like, oh my gosh, we have to write this book. You're just capturing on video and capturing in writing and capturing in pictures what's already going to happen, which it seems like that's a pretty smart investment. Yeah. You know, some of our best viewed videos are internal meetings that me and my brother have, (laughs) you know, like we just set up the the camera and we talk about something live that's impactful to the business. And then we post it to YouTube. And so, you know, that's another it's something Gary talks about a lot, but it was part of my DNA, I think, even back in the video company days, because we were always capturing, you know, in my, when I was a teenager, I had a closet with racks on the wall of all these videotapes. And it got to the point where I would bring cameras to like my friend's house to parties. I just loved capturing stuff because you never know what you're going to get. There's going to be something usable. And so I, th- I think it's the same with our, that's how we approach marketing. Well, it's, it's crazy. I, I mean, as you say that, you know, I'm sitting on here, you and I really haven't spent that much time together. We've talked maybe two other times outside of this, but I sit here and I think to myself, like, 
I trust Chris and I trust train you way more than I logically should. And it's just because it doesn't sp- feel like we've spent two times talking, right? It feels like, because I've seen you show up in my feed and I've seen you show up on things so many times. It's like, well, of course I trust Chris. Chris is Chris, you know? And I think that's part of the benefit is it's like you're having a conversation with the marketplace and to the point when you actually, actually talk to them, it's like, oh, well, we already know you. We already trust you. Right. Right. You're pre you're preconditioned. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with an amazing author, John Warlow from uh, he wrote Built to Sell, if you've ever read that book. Yeah, I loved that book. And so I was talking to him and we talked for like an hour as if we were like best friends because I had seen so many of his videos and heard his podcast. And and it's funny how that works. But, you know, marketing is really just like I said, amplifying. It's getting you exposure to a bigger audience. And if you're a great, authentic person that's delivering value in your local community, then putting that on media, whether it's written or spoken or video and showing it to other people is just getting your same personality in front of a bigger audience. You know, it's like reality TV. It's Mm -hmm. the, it's your life. It's, you're trying to be authentic. It's, it is what it is. And now you've just got more eyeballs. That's right. Reality TV, just not as trashy, right? Yeah. Not as trashy. I guess I I take back authentic with reality (laughs) TV, but you get the idea. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Well, and that's one of the things that really stood out to me because I've seen videos of your team and because I, I follow you and things like that. One of the things that really stands out to me about Trainual as an organization, yes, it's experienced rapid growth, but a lot of times with businesses that experience rapid growth, and I don't know why, I have this perception that this may be even more true with software companies. It's like the faster they grow, the more whitewashed they become. And it's like their brand and their content and their marketing, you just extract all personality, all opinion, all of the soul of the organization. And I've yeah. really seen, like, I have not had that impression of Trainual. If anything, it feels oh. like I see more personality. I see more soul in the organization. I would assume that's an intentional approach for y'all. How do y'all make sure that you guard the soul of the organization? Yeah, that was something we cared about a lot from the very beginning. So in month, I think it was four, month four of the company, um, my brother and I, who I've mentioned him a few times, Jonathan, he's our CMO. The two of us, we went out to San Diego to a conference, a big like talent, leadership, HR, tech kind of conference. And there are 10,000 people there and, you know, miles of booths and this expo center. And we walked through and I felt exactly what you just said, that everything was so manicured and whitewashed and corporate and it didn't resonate with me. It just felt like, oh, they picked some different colors for their shiny logo. (laughs) You know, like everything was was the same. It felt too like mannequin. And so when we launched Trainual, the idea was to not to be the opposite of that. Like, let's just shoot unedited iPhone videos of us walking down the street and use those for our ads instead of really polished kind of stuff. You know, let's commit to never using stock photos on our website. Look, let's just take pictures of us and all our people and put that that brand out there. And then I think the reason that that's gotten improved, the more people we've had is now we've got more personalities and more people to show off. Like you mentioned our head of people or no, you mentioned one of our new our, our copywriter 
wrote a blog post about her onboarding experience from her own point of view. And we've, you know, our, our head of people and our people experience coordinator, they're writing posts all the time and just sharing the stuff that we work on. Like we created a new compensation philosophy for how we do check-ins and reviews and keep it equitable. And a, a, a couple weeks after we decided on that internally, there was a blog about it on our website about how we mm-hmm. did it and how we, and I think it's just telling your own stories and sharing the things you're working on that resonates most with people. It's not sitting down and saying, what are the random topics we can come up with? It's like, well, what it, what are you talking about on a day-to-day basis with your customers? That's probably the stuff your other customers, your prospects would want to hear. Gosh, I love that. And I mean, you know, we can think about that on Instagram and LinkedIn, but that's also just proper relationship. Like not just presenting this whitewashed, oh, this is like we're corporate, you know. No, it's just saying like, hey, we're working on this stuff too. This is the meeting that we had yesterday to talk about these things. That seems like it's what's winning right now. So related to the marketing piece of things, who was it that had the idea of using characters from the office for y'all's, I mean, like Stanley and Meredith and Kevin, first of all, brilliant, unbelievable. But who had that idea, Chris? So when we first launched the product, you've, you know, you've got screenshots all over the the website of the product. And so we needed to have some kind of demo brand. And so we picked the office because it was relatable. It was, you know, it's a B2B software. And so we thought it would be an easy way to show off what the tool did. And so we always had screenshots and demo accounts for the office. And so early on, we were like, oh, it'd be so cool if we could get some of the actors to uh, to do something for us. And that was totally out of reach in the first year or so. But then the second year, we started just messaging them all on Instagram <laughs> and and like, you know, sending messages because everyone's got, you know, a website, official website, and they've got their Twitter and their Instagram. And so we just started constantly messaging people and saying like, hey, would you be up for a, a collaboration? And we got, you know, the guy that played Leslie David Baker, his friend wrote us back and said, yeah, we're interested. Like we could talk about that. So I got him on the phone and like the next week we had a video from the, <laughs> the, you know, that character. And then because we got that one, I was like, can we get some of the other characters? So they started sending his video around to the other actors and saying like, hey, this is kind of fun. Do you want to be a part of this? And so that's kind of how it came together. Whenever I was coaching at Ramsey, I had so many people start bringing it up on coaching calls. Like they had struggled with systems and processes for months and I was trying to help them. And it was like within a month between calls. And then literally they said, this is the thing that fixed it. And then I went and checked it out. And after checking it out, I saw one of those office videos with Stanley, I think. And I was like, (laughs) we need to get connected to these people. This guy's awesome. And it just, it hits on the fact that it's like, it's an organization with personality. I like the office. Like y'all are, y'all clearly like the office. It's awesome. It's Uh, yeah, it's relatable. So we're working on a few more surprise things like that. Oh, legit. (laughs) Uh, What is the biggest leadership lesson that you're learning right now, Chris? Wow. The biggest leadership lesson. I guess the the biggest thing I would say is, and it's not something I've learned, it's something I'm figuring out right now, and then I'm asking for help from others on. But since we've been remote since March, we've added 15 new people that we've never met in person. We've shifted a little bit of the product direction, and we've got some new features coming out for next year that weren't even on the roadmap before. And we're doing this really deep dive internally on our purpose and on our category and on our vision for the company and communicating that 
regularly and clearly to the teams is so important to keep everyone connected so that they feel like what they're doing on a daily basis is connected to the bigger vision and mission of the company. And so that's, I think, a lesson that I am in the midst of learning. And I can't wait to be able to produce some content around that with, you know, how it turns out. Yeah. Maybe related to that, what are you most excited about right now? Yeah, I'm, it, it is related to that. It's figuring that out. But really the shift in the product, you know, you mentioned having a, a few people that talked about Trainual. We have always been a great tool for training, as the name would imply, and for standard operating procedures. But when you think about those things and you think about dedicating time to work on those things, there's this catch-22 where it takes a lot of time out of your day to build that foundation before you start to see the return on that investment. And so the tools that we're working on right now are the things that someone would do in their first few minutes and first few hours in the product to automate a lot of that, to collect a lot of that. And I think that once we have these things live, it makes the product more accessible to even people with with uh, three or five or 10 employees that don't have a lot of bandwidth to put towards this. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Mm, man, me too. That's really exciting. Before we go to our final question, Chris, I would just say thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your investment in me and Path for Growth and our audience. It's so cool. The word that stuck out to me whenever you were talking about the work that you were doing years and years ago and how that work became that 100 Hacks book, the word that stood out to me was just that you are someone that constantly makes deposits and your team is doing the same thing. That's been my experience with y'all from day one is that y'all are from a content side, from a marketing side, from a constantly iterating and improving side, from a serving people and talking to your customers, which we didn't even get to how customer centric y'all's company is, but we could do another conversation just on that sometime. It just seems as though y'all are constantly making deposits. And it, as a result, for me, as someone that is a fan of y'all's, I just celebrate whenever it seems like the deposits are now producing a huge return. It's just absolutely awesome. So thank you for choosing to invest some of your time thank with you. our audience today. We really appreciate it. Final question for you. The audience of this podcast and the audience that we say we exist to serve at Path for Growth is impact-driven leaders. And so as a result, we work with people that have big dreams with regard to how they want to serve and invest in people. But a lot of times, they the thing that is most challenging for the impact and the difference that they want to make is building the infrastructure to support it. What would your encouragement or what would your challenge be to those individuals with regard to infrastructure systems and process, Chris? Wow. Imagine your business is a machine that can make any impact that you set out to make in the world. How much time would you spend building the machine? That's what I would ask people. You know, if the machine is what has the capability to meet your vision, to make the impact you want to make, to solve any problem, then should you spend time working on the machine or should you settle for last year's version of the machine or the year before's version of the machine? That's what I would ask. Dang, golly, that I, that felt just a little bit convicting on my side. I, uh, but man, that felt like a punch to the gut to a degree. Chris, this is awesome, man. Thanks so much for your time, and and we really appreciate you. You got it, and likewise, thanks, Alex. 
gosh, I told you that there is just so much practical gold in terms of building and scaling a systemized and operationalized business in that episode. But I also just think it's so cool that it, Chris just really deeply believes in this stuff and he's passionate about this stuff. That that last answer about picturing the impact that you want to make in the world and then recognizing that that impact can and should be scaled beyond you, I mean, that like that rocked me to a degree. I think you could probably hear it in the conversation because it honestly forces you to reckon with the fact that your ego is the biggest blocker to you scaling the impact beyond yourself. And the fact that you are almost responsible as a business owner to build a system that doesn't stop with your quirky personality. I just think that's so powerful and so profound and so necessary for so many businesses and so many impact-driven leaders to understand today. Thank you so much, Chris, for your time and for your investment. And y'all, I would tell you, if you're at a stage where you need to look at creating digital handbooks um, or creating systems and processes, Trainual is just the best in the business right now. I really, really, truly believe that. And I think this interview showcased that uh, in spades. Hey, I want to remind you before we go today that we are doing our first ever giveaway. So whether it's a takeaway from this episode or another episode within the Path for Growth podcast series, Figure out what that takeaway is, post it as a quote in your feed on Instagram, on your story on Instagram, or on LinkedIn, and make sure you tag myself and at Path for Growth. We can't wait to see what those are, and we're going to select some of the people that post those to receive three books that absolutely impacted the way that I live. Y'all, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode and so many of the episodes. It's just been so cool to look at the analytics and see how this podcast is growing. I hope that you found today's conversation valuable, and if you did, consider uh, rating and reviewing the podcast in Apple. We read those reviews every single week, and we're so grateful for your kind words. Uh, And then also, also think about a business owner or a business leader or someone that's really interested in personal growth that you could share this podcast with. We love to get in the ears of people that have not yet heard about Path for Growth and y'all are the ones that help us do that. And for that, I'm so unbelievably grateful. Y'all, we're rooting for you. We're cheering for you. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.